But something I've realized is that it is all so, so very different. You think about uh, Noah. He was a, a real achiever, and, and in his faith he had to build this huge, huge ark. And then you think of someone like Abraham, who had absolute belief and faith in God, and his faith caused him to go on a big journey. And uh, then you think of someone like uh, Moses' parents, and uh, they had self-assurance that um, disobeying Pharaoh and keeping Moses safe was, uh, had a big purpose, had a great purpose. And, and the faith of Moses expressed through having to take command over, over Pharaoh, marching into Pharaoh's uh, chambers and demanding that the people be let, uh, let go and then leading them away. And uh, then people like uh, Rahab get some mention. And her faith is expressed simply by bringing others in and holding them and keeping them safe. So there's all these different ways that all in faith works. And I was imagining what it would be like if all of those people were together in the one place at the one time. You'd have Noah running a uh, do-it-yourself course on how to build a ship. Hopefully one that would not let containers fall off the edge in rough seas. And uh, he'd be there with his big lumps of timber and how to use the ropes and the pulleys to hoist the beams up high and how to cut through huge trees and so forth. And next to him, you'd have Moses' parents. And they'd be doing a DIY on how to build a little boat. It's only got to hold a little person. You don't need all the equipment that, uh, that Noah had. It's just got to stay watertight and float down the river. And uh, then next to them, you might have Joseph, who's talking about strategies and investing in the future um, and then you might have Abraham and all he wants to do is is promote these amazing sandals that are so good for long distance walking so you've got all these different characters in the bible and they're all lumped together in Hebrews 11 because they are people of faith they're all in with their faith but it's all very 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 different And I want to point out to you and I that it's the same for us. What someone does in response to their faith as an expression of their love for God is different from somebody else. And let's be inspired by these people, but not discouraged by them. I could never do these things. That's not for me. But God might be calling you just to build that little basket or to do something totally different from somebody else. So all in faith is very, very different for us all. But together, the faith that we have becomes the body of Christ. Perhaps you were watching the soccer game last night, Australia versus France. We got away pretty good, didn't we? 2-1 down was not too bad. I think they did well. But each team member knows their role. Together they form a wonderful team. On their own, they couldn't do it. You imagine Australia versus France. 11 French players come under the field and one Australian. It's not going to end well at all, is it? It's a team, a team of people who have a different role, a different job, a different task to do the job. And it's just like it is for you and I. But even though our expression of faith may be different, the methods... Our core values, our principle, our purpose, what we're working towards is the same, absolutely the same. 
A few weeks ago, Moses uh, just spoke to us about Moses. Last week, Pam spoke to us about Gideon. And uh, today I'm going to plug up the gap between Moses leading the people of Israel to the promised land, but not in. Gideon's story is when they're in the promised land, we're looking today at Joshua, who was the one who took them into the promised land. And how he did that was very different from some of these other heroes of our faith. So Joshua's role was to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, to overcome the cities, the strongholds of the ungodly, to rid the land of false gods and idols, to fight battles, to remain faithful to God and ensure that the people of God never forgot who God is and what he had done for them. Much as we do today. We also want to make sure that people know who God is. The Bible says that Joshua was 110 years old when he died. So if we work backwards, he was 30 years in leadership. So that's started when he was 80. They were 40 years in the wilderness under Moses' lead. That means he was 40 when they started the exodus. So that means the first 40 years of Joshua's life were in Egypt. And it dawned on me, he was born into slavery. We think of Joshua in these days of these heroic things in the promised land, but he was actually born in Egypt and born into slavery. He would have grown up as a young child seeing his parents work very hard and be treated harshly. And as he got older, it would have been the same for him. The Israelites had been in, into, uh, in captivity for 400 years. So he was born towards the end of that time where there's this sense of, God, where are you? What's happening? What's happening? Beck thinks selling a house for seven months is a long time. And I'm sure it is too. But at the end of that 400 years, there's this sense of where is God? Where is God? And that's the, uh, the, um, the situation Joshua was born into. And it brings me to my first point, that all in faith is not dependent on where you've come from, what's happened to you in the past, or what's not happened to you in the past. So Joshua was born as a slave, but that didn't prevent him from having mighty faith in God. For Joshua, it's about obedience to God. And his faith was evident through obedience. There's many times in the book of Joshua where the Bible says something along the lines of, and Joshua did as God commanded. The Lord spoke to Joshua, and Joshua did as God commanded. And I think that's the key to his faith, that obedience that he had. It's a very militaristic sounding book because it was a military focused time in the history. There were kings and armies to face, tactics to plan, battles to fight, victories to be won. And in that context, no wonder the idea of obedience stands out so clearly. Obedience isn't a popular word these days. It implies submission to a higher authority or giving up our personal rights at a time where freedom to make our own choices is promoted. I remember as a, as a young child squabbling with siblings 
a common phrase that we would throw around would be, well, you're not the boss of me and you can't tell me what to do. And I'm sure that was said to me more times than I actually said it to my siblings. But some adults have grown up holding onto that attitude. You're not the boss of me and you can't tell me what to do. I will make my own decisions. I'll be my own person. I'll live my own way. That is a blocker to faith in God. We can't have that kind of attitude and expect to grow and to be people who are faithful. God requires that we have submission and obedience. And there's an argument, as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, what's the problem? That's a common argument, but it's not correct, because there's higher accountabilities. And as Christians, we're called to live our lives to God, to give our lives to God, and to be obedient to his calling. And then there's a thought that, well, if I give my life away, if I'm obedient and submissive to someone, well, I'm not being free to who I want to be and do what I want to do. There's truth in that. However, obedience and submission to God is about then living his way, not our own way. And I'm not talking money, but there are riches and rewards far greater than what could ever happen if we were living our lives our own way. Theologist Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, none learns the secret of freedom, none learns the secret of freedom, save only by control. A simple example, giving up the, uh, the freedom to eat what you want and as much as you want gives you the greater freedom to live a healthy lifestyle. But obedience to God isn't really about sacrificing choices and freedoms. It's about finding all that God has for us. Joshua knew that that was the secret. It wasn't about his past. It wasn't that he came from slavery in Egypt. It was that he was obedient to God. The second point I'd like to make is that all in faith is a growing aspect of our Christian lives. It's not all or nothing. It's not I have or I have not. But it's something that grows. And when we look at Bible characters, we tend to look at their peak moments what they achieved, all that they did, how they worked for God, how God worked through them. Tempted to think, well, I could never do any of that. But remember, Joshua was a child and he grew, as did his faith. But if we have that mindset of where I've come from, slavery, our faith can't grow. Joshua didn't see himself as a slave. He saw himself as a commander of an army and people of Israel. And his faith grew in that. If we have this mindset of being a slave, being a victim of circumstances or bound by the past, then we can't achieve what God's got planned for us. It's like saying, well, I don't have faith or it's too small or it's not efficient, uh, effective. It's about as good as it can be expected. But the Bible tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin. We can live a victorious life, that we're more than conquerors. Joshua's faith grew over time, and ours can as well. The first mention of Joshua is in Exodus. Moses asked him to take some men to fight an army, and off he went. He obeyed. The second mention of Joshua He's referred to as Moses' assistant. 
He climbed Mount Sinai with Moses. Part way, Moses went to the top, met with God, received the Ten Commandments. But Joshua was his assistant. There's another mention of Joshua. Moses had a tent set up, and that's where Moses would go and meet God. After that time, Moses would go back to the people, and Joshua would stay at the meeting tent. He hung around to soak up the presence of God. The next mention of Joshua is one of 12 spies who were sent to spy on the promised land to see what it was like and bring a report back. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two who had any hope that God could do something through the people into the promised land. And we look at those things, we see that his faith is growing. It's being fed, watered and exercised to a point where it's bigger and stronger and more effective than what it may have been. It's a bit like a muscle. You use it and it becomes stronger. And I want to encourage you that faith, as tiny as a mustard seed, can do big things. So it's not a matter of, I can't, I won't, I'm not able. Allow God to work through you. Third point is that all in faith is not easy. We can look at these heroes of faith and think life must have been amazing, bouncing from one miraculous work of God to the next, to the next, to the next, with hardly a chance to catch a breath in between. But no, life was tough for them. It was hard. Joshua took charge when Moses died. Israel had just lost its founding leader, the man who had led them out of Egypt through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. For 40 years, the promise of this new land had not been realised. Behind them was the desert. In front of them was this flooded river, the Jordan River. And all of a sudden, Joshua is in charge. And of course, across that river were walled cities and armies and people to fight. So Joshua stepped into a tough situation. It wasn't going to be easy for him. No wonder he had to rely on God. But Joshua didn't start anything new. He stepped in to take part of the story, to take the, uh, the journey a little bit further. And sometimes without all in faith, it may not necessarily be that God's calling us to something new, but to take something to the next level, to take something beyond what a previous person did. The land was organised into small cities and states, and each had their own king. And from time to time, the different cities and states in this land, they'd form alliances. It's a bit like a show, uh, TV show Survivor, where people form an alliance with this person, then betray that person, and form an alliance with somewhere else. So there's all these little city-states and kings in this land that had to be overcome. But when the Israelites started marching through, those states started to form alliances. There was a southern Alliance, and so uh, Joshua and the armies had to defeat those people. Then the northern cities and states formed an alliance. They had to defeat them as well. So it was not an easy task. And in, in reality, the world was against them. They all banded together to fight the Israelites and Joshua. But God was with them. God was with them. And they walked in victory despite the adversity. 
So Joshua's life was battle after battle after battle. And he also had some rather unpleasant duties dealing with sin of the Israelites. Early in the book of Joshua, God says to him, be strong and courageous. And you know that if God is saying that to you when you're about to start a new chapter of life, it's not just a congratulatory pat on the back. Good job, well done, be strong and courageous, off you go. <laughs> Let me know how it turns out. If God says that to you, take a deep breath because you know you will need to be strong and courageous. My fourth point is that all in faith requires accountability. There's a story in Joshua where some people who were nearby to where the Israelites were, the Gibeons, decided to deceive the Israelites. Now Joshua had been told by God to wipe out all of the people, all of the cities, destroy the ungodly, get rid of it all, clean out the land, because this is the land that you've been promised. And the Gibeons knew the reputation of the Israelites are coming closer and closer and closer, and they knew that they were next in line. So they decided to deceive, deceive Joshua. They sent some leaders to meet Joshua and the army, but they dressed them in torn clothes, in shoes that were worn. They gave them dry and mouldy bread, um, wine skins that were split, and made them look like they'd been journeying for a long time. And when they met Joshua, they said, we have come from a faraway land. A faraway land, we're not your next door neighbours. And we want to make a peace treaty with you. Your fame has spread, we've heard the stories, and we want to live in peace. And we're so, so far away, you don't have to bother with us. We can make a peace treaty, you can live there, we'll live here, and all will be well. And the Bible says that Joshua looked at their clothing, looked at their shoes, looked at the mouldy dry bread, looked at the split wineskins and thought these guys really have come from a long way away away and let's make a peace treaty with them. The Bible says that they examined their food and their clothing but they did not consult the Lord. Joshua made a peace treaty with them, guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Now, three days later, they found out the truth, that this actually were the next town, the next group of people that were you know, in the path of the, uh, the Israelites. And the people of Israel said, well, they've lied to us, they've deceived us, let's just wipe them out and get rid of them. Joshua said, no, I've made an oath before God and I'm not going to break that oath. However, the Gibeons then became servants to the Israelites, woodcutters and water bearers. But the point is that perhaps Joshua was distracted by the appearance of these people. Perhaps they were a bit flattered by the fact that they had heard the reputation of the Israelites coming through. Maybe Joshua didn't think, well, why would a people in a faraway land want to make treaty with us? We really have nothing to do with each other. There were all these little alarm bells and things that uh, Joshua missed because he was deceived and he didn't consult God. And if we're going to be strong in our faith and all in faith, we have to realise we cannot do it on our own. We can't get to a point where we say, God, I've got this covered. I guess it's like just saying with, um, with the running and the running into parked cars, which is a really dumb thing to do. 
<laughs> but I'm glad you're okay. But perhaps it's like that where we get overconfident in our abilities and we don't consult God. And I think a lot of the heroes of the faith had their, their basement moments where they really were not living uh, bright and shining examples that uh, we hear in Hebrews 11. But the good news is God uses us in our weakness when we stumble, when we fall, as long as we keep our eyes on him. And my last point is that all in faith is not just for you. It's not about you becoming more faithful, becoming stronger, doing more things for God. It's got to be something that is passed on. As you read through the book of Joshua, (coughs) Joshua constantly reminded the people of the faithfulness of God. The first thing Joshua did was to lead them through the Jordan River on dry ground where the river was in flood. And they built a monument of stones both in the river itself that would have been seen when the river level was low, but also on the shore. He said, that is so when our children ask, why are these stones here? Why is this monument here? We can tell them the story of God and his faithfulness. And there's another number of other times through the book of Joshua where he does the same thing. He builds a monument to God to remember this special event, this victory, this miracle that was performed so that in the future, people would see it and ask, what is it about? And often in the book of Joshua, it says things like, and it is still here to this day. I'm not sure whether that means this day or when the book was actually written, it may have been still there. But those things were there and people knew about them. And Joshua was saying, don't forget God, don't forget God. We're finally settling in the promised land. We have the things that God has promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. You're seeing the fulfillment of that. Don't get settled. Don't get complacent. Don't forget God. And it's so important that we also, in our growing faith, make sure that others know about God. That they don't forget God. They can see the good things that he's done. They hear of who he is and all that he has promised. Joshua's final words in chapters 23 and 24 are a history lesson, remembering God, remembering the victories and the fulfilled promises of yesterday enable the successes of the day and prepare for the challenges of tomorrow. In Joshua 23, verses 6 and 8, We'll stick that on the screen, Caleb. Thanks. Joshua saying, be very strong. Words that were spoken to him by God 30 years ago. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast the Lord your God as you have until now. So this is a man's last words to the people of Israel. He's led them through into the promised land. They've had battle after battle. They've seen amazing victories and miracles happen before their eyes. But he's saying, obey the law of God. 
do not forget who God is. And then over in verse 24, sorry, chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, sorry, the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love those two passages, obedience and service. Obedience and service. And that's what Joshua's life was all about. When we look at his all-in faith, yes, we'll hear about the battles and the miracles and so forth. But at the core of that is his obedience and service to God. It wasn't a transactional faith. Well, God, what's in it for me? Sure, I'll do these things, but what do I get out of it? And there's a story in the book of Joshua of a man who did that and uh, it ended poorly for him and his family. It wasn't transactional. It was solely to serve God, to obey him. As I finish, I think if Hebrews chapter 11 was rewritten today, there'd be a lot more characters in there. There's Noah, there's Abraham, there's Moses, Joseph, Joshua. They're all in there. But uh, I think there'd be more that we could uh, add to that. People whose lives we know have been faithful in their service of God. And uh, there's three in our church who I think should be in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, Luke and Jess and Joel, who have for uh, many years now followed God faithfully and um, served and sacrificed and obeyed um, in ways that have been very, very challenging. And uh, they're heading off again tomorrow to the United States, and we want to pray for them right now. So could you come forward, please? How long are you guys over for this time? Till September, till September. So um, for those who don't know Luke and Jess and Joel, they've uh, given up um, a lot of things back here to faithfully serve God, to be obedient, and uh, travelling over to the United States, working uh, in ministry there, leading um, worship for uh, youth rallies and, uh, and so forth, and they're heading back there. So uh, we want to pray for them as uh, examples of the Christian faith. The way I want to do this this morning is I'm going to get your family members who are here, mums, dads, grandparents, siblings, cousins, to come and stand with you, but stand with you here in the middle of the church because we are your church family. So while you guys are getting organised, I don't think people can really work in their faith without the support of their families. Um, and uh, it's a blessing to these guys to have such amazing families. So can you guys come here, please? And family members, even if you're 89, out you come. Fiancés too, absolutely. 
You should have been first out, Danny. And with their... Yeah, come on, guys. So with their immediate family around them and laying hands on them, that's symbolic of us as a church family. People of the faith. Hebrews chapter 11, people right here in our midst. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your calling on the lives of uh, Jess and Luke and Joel and their families' support and their love. Father, we thank you for the many people who that they, they were witness to. Father, we pray that you would just go ahead of them, open the way, that you'll prepare hearts, that people will run to you because of the, the love they see of yours through Jess and Joel and Luke. Father, we ask that you keep them safe in their journeys, that those uncertain parts of the journey, how to get from A to B, where to stay that night, will all fall in place in miraculous ways, that these guys will come back just glowing with testimony of your goodness and all the things that you've done. Father, we ask that you keep them healthy, you keep them well, that you would orchestrate the people that they're to meet with, people who can encourage them when they're feeling a little lonely and down, um, and people who can be encouraged by them as well. Father, we thank you for, your, for their families. We thank you for uh, the way that they release them into this ministry, for the love and the support and the prayer that goes into these people. And Father, for our church family here too, we thank you for the many ways that we can support them. Help us to be faithful, both in our prayers and also in our finances, to support the work that they do. Father, we thank you for who they are, for their obedience and service to you. Amen. God bless you guys. Be strong and courageous in your service for God.